Malachi chapter 1. This is the passage we look at today again, starting in verse 6. So as we come to this text, I really want to kind of pose a question before we get into the text, because it really is the question that is the application of the message, I suppose. And that question is simply this. Why do you come to worship? Why do you come to Sunday, to church, week after week, time after time? Why do you come into this place, and then how do you come? Do you come carelessly? Do you come just because it's what you've always done? Do you come because, well, it's expected of me? Do you come because, well, I'm scared not to because I'm afraid God won't be happy with me if I don't come and I want to make God happy? Or Why do you come? That really is the issue that Malachi is dealing with in this second half of chapter 1 of his prophecy. He's going to deal with the whole concept of worship. And we're going to look at that, not just today, but over the next several weeks, we're going to look at this passage at least a couple of times and talk about the concept of worship. Now, in these first verses, his concern is, and really all we're going to deal with today for the most part, is the whole idea of the name of God and giving honor to your Father, your Heavenly Father. Giving honor to Him and learning what it means in worship to honor Him and and, and give him the honor that he's due. I mean, that's, that's what we're going to basically kind of be our one point, if you will, uh, on today's sermon. Then we'll pick up some of the other things in the week, next weeks or so. And, and the thing we're going to talk about is the whole concept, the whole idea around giving God honor, the idea of careless worship. Because these folks were really careless in their worship. They, they really were. They, were. they were just kind of going about it haphazardly. They were kind of going about it in their own way. They were kind of going about it doing their own thing and saying, hey, I'll worship when I can. I'll worship like I want to. I'll do whatever I want to do. And God very clearly says, I'm not pleased with that. Worship in your way. Worship at your convenience. Worship in a very casual way, God says, quite honestly, is just not acceptable. him it's a scary thought if you get right down to it it's a scary thought that God would say well uh, you know you're coming week after week after week is not really not really doing anything that it ought to be doing or ought to be involved in it's just a rote ritual it's just a habit maybe we could call it a good habit in some sense But if it's not real worship, it's not even a good habit, folks. It's just a habit. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not going to deal with this over the next couple of weeks to say, oh, well, Bill doesn't want me coming to church. I'm hoping you'll change your whole attitude about coming. Hope you'll change your whole vision of what it's about when you walk through those doors and into the corporate body. And I hope it will not only be affected what you do in here when you come, but it will affect everything about your life every day that you live out there. Because worship is not just to be what takes place in here. Worship is to be what takes place in your life day after day after day. Seven days a week, not one day a week. And Malachi, as the instrument and the messenger of God, wants to deliver that message of God not only to the Israelites in in 450 years or so before Christ came, but also to you and me 2,000 years after he came. 
because the concept, although worship is different, we'll see that over the next couple of weeks, their worship is different from our worship because the cross has come. It's still worship of the living, the true God. Think about that. Why are you here? And why did you come? Listen to what Malachi says, starting in verse 6 of this first chapter. A son honors his father, and a servant his master, honors his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? There's that disputation taking place. Answering back, denying what God is saying through Malachi. Verse 7, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would, you, would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you, just, just one among you, who would shut the gates that you might uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rise of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it, in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, it is the, its food is to be despised. And you say also, how, my, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But curse be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. I mean... Can you even hear the reading of that text and not recognize that God is not pleased with the worship of, of the Israelites of, of Malachi's day? Can you even hear it read and not say that, you know, God's got a real problem with the way they worship. And, and God doesn't beat around the bush. God doesn't say, listen, you ought to do better. You ought to try harder. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to clean up your act here. He just gets very specific about where their sin is in their worship. But he begins by talking about honor to his name he begins by talking about honoring him as a father honoring him as a master 
how, how in our earthly life we honor those who are our fathers, we honor those who are masters over us, to whom we are servants of, but yet God does not receive the same, receive the same honor that we give to even earthly people. And, and Malachi wants us to see that it's, it's, a, it's a serious situation if we do not give honor to God as Father, as Lord of hosts, as King of kings, as the great King that He is. If you look at those first 11 verses primarily there, you see over and over the, th- the term, the Lord of hosts, your name, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, my name, my name, my name, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, over and over Malachi is expressing him as one who is great and one who is to be honored and whose name is very, very important. It's amazing that throughout this book, throughout this prophecy, Malachi and, and God are going to deal with all sorts, all kinds of sins. Going to talk about things like marital infidelity and robbing God and, and the violation of the marriage covenant. Over and over again, he's going to talk about uh, having gone out into to taking unbelieving wives by the, the men of the children of Israel. And, and all those things are very serious. But he doesn't start with those sins that are so visible and so clear, as in the people's eyes at least, but he starts with the whole concept of worship. Seven times, and maybe an implied eighth time in, the, in these first verses, and 24 times in the whole book, God is called the Lord of hosts. With all the other sins that are going to be dealt with, Malachi begins, under God's inspiration, with talking about the problem of worship and honoring God, and honoring His name, and honoring Him as our Father. I found that a little strange when I first read Malachi years ago. I thought, man, why don't you worry about cleaning up all this other stuff, Malachi, and then get them to come into the place of worship, and they'll have their lives all sorted out and all worked out, and then they can really worship the Lord. But it became quite obvious and quite evident from reading the text that the problems of of infidelity and the problems of breaking covenants and the problems of robbing God and all that flow out of a lack of true and pure and spiritual worship. Sin flows out of our lack of worshiping the true and the living God in a proper and a right and a clear way. Worship is not something that happens when we get things all together. Worship is something that when it takes place, it helps us get things all together. It's kind of like, you know, the whole concept of salvation. I I talk to people all the time who say, well, you know, when I get this straightened out in my life, and when I get that straightened out in my life, and when I get things kind of cleaned up in my life, I'm planning to come to Christ. And I say, listen, you're looking at it totally backwards. You'll never get those things cleaned up so that you'll feel worthy to come to Christ. You'll never get those things straightened out in the way that you think you can. That It's, it's not that you clean up your life and you come to Christ and, and Christ says, Oh, now I'll receive you because you've straightened things out. No, it's you come to Christ and, and depend on His grace and His mercy and you fall before Him and then by His grace, He begins to straighten those things out in your life. So that's why Malachi is not going to deal with it sins that are very terrible sins in their own right but he wants these people to see and he wants you and me to see 
that sin in our life flows out of a lack of worship in a proper and a right way. Sin in our life flows out of not honoring our Father, our Father who is God, the great King, not honoring Him with our mouths as well as with our lives as we ought to do. Basically, in this idea of of showing why God is worthy of honor, he, he, he gives us about three things to talk about there. Three things to think about to show us how great God is. And it's amazing he starts out by talking about him being a father. If I am a father, a son honors, honors his father and a servant his master. You know, it's, we really don't think about God being recognized as father so much by disciples in our day until you get to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' model prayer, do you? In, in Matthew when, when there he's talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he said when his disciples there and also in Mark, they, they come to him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. We want to know how to pray. John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Teach us how to pray, Lord. And he says, well, pray in this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy be your name. That's what hallowed means. And, and Jesus there is saying the same thing that that Malachi is saying here that when we come to God in worship, we're to see Him as Father, but we're to see Him in such a glorious way that we see His holiness and we acknowledge that holiness and we stand before Him as an unholy people, but standing in the presence of His holiness, we see Him as He is and thus we see ourselves as we are and we deal with those issues that we think about we need to straighten out before we can come to Him. We come to Him first, He straightens them out. You get that? It's important that you get that. Because if you're trying to do it, if you're sitting here this morning saying, you know, I really, I really want to be right with God and I'm going to clean up my life and I'm going to be right with God. I want to tell you this morning, you're approaching it from the absolute, total, wrong, ineffective, and disastrous direction. The direction is to say, Lord, Lord God, I need your grace. I got a mess in my life. I got all this stuff in my life and I, I can't do anything about it. But Lord, I want to worship you and I want to come before you and, and I want to repent of that. I want to acknowledge that. And I want you to do your work in my life. That's the proper way. And that's what Malachi is wanting these people to see. That worship is where holy living begins. Worship is where discipleship begins. Worship is where evangelism and missions begin. Worship flows out into every area of life and makes a difference in everything. You know, when, if I were to ask you today, what do you, what do you when you think about this whole concept of, of God as your Father, what do you think about? How do you, how do you think about that? If I were to just come to you and point in your face, I won't do this, but were to say, tell me that God is Father, what do you think of? My guess is in the 21st century, 95, maybe, not, maybe 100% of people in here would respond to that by saying, God loves me because he's my father. God cares for me. God directs me. God protects me. He is a good God because he does all those. He's a father and he does all those kind of things. And all that's true, by the way. Most would say I look at him as father and I say, oh, well, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. That's the whole concept in a nutshell of, of what this idea of fatherly love really is. 
And all that's true. But that's really inadequate. Because if you think about the scriptures, the most clear statement about fatherhood is found in the, in the first Ten Commandments. When it, it says very clearly, you are to honor your father and your mother. But you're to honor your father. Your first concern is not to be what he's going to give you or what he's going to do for you or how he's going to take care of you. Your first concern is just to give him honor. Now, I realize we live in a day that doesn't do that, even in an earthly sense. I mean, all you've got to do is watch the TV commercials, watch the sitcoms, and, and most other shows, and the father is always the doofus in that. He's always the doofus. He can't do anything right. He doesn't have sense enough to get in out of the rain. Now, the mother, and most of the time, the kids, a whole lot smarter than he is whole lot more clever. They know how to solve the problem. They know how, which car to buy. They know which cereal to buy. It, it's all wrapped up. Fatherhood and manhood are presented by our culture with no honor whatsoever. They are dishonored, if anything. So we absorb that. We even as Christians absorb that. We ought to resist it. We ought to think about it enough that we can repent of it and turn away from it. But it affects the way we view one another. It affects the way we view our fathers. And it affects the way we view God. You know, my dad has been with the Lord since 2001. And uh, I still grieve at times that he's not around for me to talk to. But I'll tell you something. When I was growing up, I didn't think of my dad as a doofus. Now, I'll admit there were some things that I thought he just didn't have a clue about, but I never let him know that. And and I'll tell you what, I was afraid when I was out in public, I I was fearful of doing anything that would bring dishonor to my dad's name. I I didn't, I didn't, you know, I I didn't, I wasn't a perfect kid. I'll, I'll just go there with you and we'll go any further. I wasn't a perfect kid, but I wanted so badly to keep it hidden because I didn't want Dad to know some of the things I did because I knew it would dishonor him. It would grieve him. It would break his heart. I wanted to honor him as best I could. The thing about it with our Heavenly Father is we may want to hide some things from him. We, we, we may want to act like things we're cleverly disguising them and we're kind of giving lip service to honor but he knows where we dishonor him i could hide some things from my dad you can't hide those things from god and that's what they're trying to act as though nothing is wrong and and malachi is saying listen you're not honoring god and then that's how he starts out a a son honors his father and a servant his master and if i am a father where is my honor so malachi shows us three ways if you will that god is glorious just how god how glorious our god is he starts out by that name that you heard over and over and over that i quoted by itself a moment ago the whole name the lord of hosts it's a special name used by malachi clearly over and over like i said something like 24 times in this whole book he is the lord of hosts now today you might say, well, what does that mean, that he's the Lord of hosts? 
What is a host? We, we think of a host as someone who, who you know, takes you to your table at a restaurant. We think of a host as someone who, who serves you as, and, and takes care of you or invites you into their home and just, just makes your, shows you hospitality. They're a host. Not what he's talking about here. He's the Lord of hosts. You might say he's the Lord of millions and thousands and, and, and un, unnumbered things. He's, he's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of angels. He's the Lord of the universe. Uh, to say that he's the Lord of hosts is to say he is the Lord God over everything that there is. And he deserves your honor. He deserves for you to desire a life that honors him above anything else. To say he's the Lord of hosts is to say he is a great God. He is a mighty God. He is a God with absolute and complete authority. He's a God who answers to no one. He's a God who bows to no one. He is, the, he is a God to whom all things and all peoples should bow and should honor. What a glorious Father we have. We have a Father in whom the angels bow but yet allows us to call him Father. We have a God who is a Father in such a way that he is over all things. He created all things, and everything that there is was created by him, whether in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, or in the sea. Everything was created by and for him and to his glory. Even you. You were created for the purpose of showing glory to his name. You were created, and you were recreated in the new birth, especially to show honor to your Father and glory to God. That's why when we come in here, how do you come? And, and I'm concerned about your daily worship, your private worship, whether you're, wherever you are, your prayer closet or driving your car or, or wherever you are Monday through Saturday. I'm, but today I'm talking about when you come together as the people of God, how do you come? Do you come in saying, I'm, I have the privilege today to through my life and through my presence and through my words and through my actions and, and through everything that I do for the next hour to hour and a half, I have the privilege of showing honor to my Father, the Lord of hosts. Or do you come in a much more contemporary 21st century way of saying, I'm coming and I sure hope I can get something out of this. I, I sure hope the preacher has a good sermon because, man, if I, if I waste an hour and a half on Sunday that I could be sleeping or getting ready for a ball game or something, if I waste it with a preacher and he doesn't really come and, and just really bring it, you know, and I don't really get something out of it, man, I've wasted Let me tell you something. If you come that way, you're not worshiping. If you come that way, you're doing a lot of what the, the, the Israelites were doing in Malachi's day, and we'll see that probably more clearly next week, I hope. But, but the, the whole attitude of how you come, do you see him as a mighty God who's worthy of your time and worthy of your worship and worthy of your total and complete and undivided attention and focus, and you come in here not to judge the sermon, not to judge the songs, not to judge the quality of the instrumentalist, but to come in here and say, Lord, I, I, I will worship you if we, if we just sit here in silence. I will focus on you and you alone. Because you are a host of great numbers of armies and angels and peoples, and, and you are worthy of that. So, 
by saying he's the Lord of hosts, Malachi shows us one reason why he's worthy of our worship. Second, he does so, he helps us see the majesty of our Father by showing us that he doesn't need these piddly sacrifices. In verse 10, we'll come back to this again next week, but it's, it's important to see. One of the reasons we know he's a great God, he doesn't need us. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar, for I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Let me give you the Haynes paraphrase of that. I wish somebody would have the intestinal fortitude to just lock the doors and not let anybody come in because their hearts are not set on me. Oh, they come and they go through the motions. They go through the, the, the ritual. But they're not honoring me as a father. They're not coming with a desire to worship me. They're just coming to go through the motions and play the games and, and try to look good in front of other people. And, and I just wish somebody would just shut the gate, lock the door, just don't even let the altar be active. Now, recognize they had an altar where they offered sacrifices and gifts. This is not an altar here, folks. Understand that. We sometimes erroneously refer to the front of the church and Lord's Supper table as an altar. That's not the altar. The altar took place 2,000 years ago on a cross, not like that one, but that that represents. Our altar is a finished altar. So he's, there's a little difference in the worship here, but, but I want you to see that what, what he's saying here is basically the same because they came to offer those offerings as sacrifices to the Lord, and he's saying they are useless, they are worthless because their heart's not right. They're not honoring me as a great father not honoring me as father and king. So, so basically he says, listen, this is a great God because he's the Lord of hosts, he's the Lord of everything, but he's also a great God because he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. You know, we sometimes act like it's, you know, God's really fortunate he's got me. I can do all these things, you know. I can, I can, I'm sure God just sits around most of the time saying, I'm glad Bill Haynes decided to be a Christian. He doesn't. Matter of fact, I'm sure sometimes he says, I'm still trying to figure out why I saved that guy. It's his work, not mine. His glory, not mine. The same with you. He doesn't need us. But by his gracious will, he, is, he has graciously said, I will use you as I have given you life and as I have saved you. I will use you for my glory. I will use you in your piddly attitudes, in your piddly gifts, in your piddly talents. I'll use you for my glory. If your worship is focused in the way it must be focused. So he's the Lord of hosts and he doesn't need us. And then there's a third thing that Malachi makes clear in helping us show the majesty of our God and that is in verse 11 he says I want you to understand one thing his authority and his ownership and his power of all over all things will be honored among every people in every place ultimately verse 11 says from the rising of the sun even to its setting that is all day long 
My name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure, not diluted, not polluted, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. What he's saying here is there's coming a time when I'm going to be glorified across the face of the earth. In all the nations everywhere, there are going to be people worshiping me and crying out to me and glorying in me and honoring me and coming with the right attitude and the right spirit in the right way. And they're, they're going to come before me and I'm going to be glorified across the face of the earth all day long from the rising to the setting of the sun. There will be my name exalted. And the implication here is, whether you get it right or not. What is the passage that says, you know, if we fail to praise him, the, the rocks will cry out? If we won't give him honor, the rocks are going to give him honor? If we don't listen to what he has to say, then, then, then we just won't get, the, we won't get the blessing of being useful in the glorying of his name across all the earth. Wow. You know, you, you look at this and you say, well, I, I, don't know, I don't know if I can worship that way. I don't know if I can really. Yeah, and truth is, you can't. Apart from his indwelling you by his Holy Spirit through regeneration, and through new life. It's an amazing truth of Scripture that God is literally in us, worshiping through us to Himself by His Holy Spirit. It's a glorious truth. It's a beautiful truth. It's, a, it's an unbelievable reality of what God desires to show us. But our problem today is, and this is, a, this is an American problem. It's probably a problem across the whole world. But our problem is we really want to worship God the way we want to worship God, in our own way. If that means once a month, then God, you just need to be satisfied with that. If that means at Christmas and Easter, then God, you ought to be happy. I showed up two days a year. That's my way of worshiping you. Some will say, well, I worship God out at the lake. I worship God in the woods. I worship God here. No, you don't. Oh, you may look around and say, oh, how beautiful this is that God has made. And that's about it. You see, the Scripture doesn't give us the, the prerogative to worship Him any way we want to. can't worship God our way. We're to worship God His way. God takes His worship very, very seriously. And he's got, we're going to see that more as we look at this passage in the weeks to come. But I want you to look at another passage just briefly to, to just get, get an idea of how serious God takes worship. Turn back earlier in the Old Testament to Leviticus chapter 10. Some of you know this story. Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, their priest, they are charged with bringing offerings unto the Lord. They are given not only the, the challenge, but they're given the privilege of, of leading the worship of God by bringing the offerings and offering them on behalf of the people. I mean, what a glorious thing to be. And verse 10, I mean, chapter 10, verse 1, says now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, they're doing what they're supposed to do to take an, offering, an incense offering before the Lord, and putting fire in their fire pans, 
placed incense on it, and they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The, the, the idea is here that, that they, they made it up themselves. God had strictly told them what incenses were to be offered at different times for different reasons, and, and Nadab and I, Abihu just decided to get creative about it. And say, oh, listen, I, I, we can make it better. We can make it a little different. We can give it a little better fragrance. I bet the people like smelling this better than this old stuff God told us to do. So they mixed up strange fire, and they offered it before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And God said, guys, that was a great idea. Oh, wait a minute. Verse 2. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Folks, I got to tell you, that's, that sounds unfair to me. But I'll tell you one thing, I'm sure glad God doesn't deal with us in our worship today like he did with these two boys of Aaron. Fire came out, consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near to me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored, or I will be glorified. And I like this statement, So Aaron therefore kept silent. You get the idea that there's a little something going on that isn't told us here clearly, and that is that, that Aaron had a lot of the same idea that you and I would. That's just not fair. That boys will be boys. You know, they're just learning. They're just getting the hang of it. They just went in and they thought, hey, we'll jazz it up a little bit. And they offered something that God had not commanded, mattered something that he had not prescribed. And he said, that's it. They're gone. And Moses said, listen, Aaron, don't, don't, even, don't even go there. They did what the Lord said not to do, and, and God had said, Those who come before me, will be, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, thus, thus I will be honored and glorified, because I'm treated as holy. I wonder, I, I just wonder, if part of the reason why God is not honored in America today realize we're not Israel. America's not Israel. But I wonder if part of the reason why God is not honored today, indeed why he's dishonored and why he's challenged and why he's laughed at, is because those who come before him are not treating him as holy. That we who are his church treat him very casually and don't show him honor and, and so the world looks at us and says well pfft, no big deal even his church doesn't show him honor why should we show him honor uh, i'll never forget and 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 i don't read me wrong here i'm, I'm not saying you gotta you gotta put on a tuxedo or even a suit and tie every time you come to church were I'd be hitting a lot of you this morning. It's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. I think we get too casual sometimes in our dress. I really think we do. 
I think we come before God like we would come before who? Stoops, the coach at Kentucky. Hey, man, we put on our UK shirt, and we, I would say Saban at Alabama, but I don't want to bring that in. But we, we put on our UK shirt, and we go before him and say, Hey, coach, how's it going? We kind of view worshiping the same way. Hey, God, how's it going? No honor there. I remember when I was working for the American Center for Law and Justice, and we had several occasions to go to the White House for meetings. Never met with Bush, but met with some of his staff. But Bush could have come in during that time, and he was the President of the United States. And uh, I remember one day I, I went into the office, and I was get, we were getting ready to go to Washington for one of these meetings, and I had on a pair of khaki slacks, and I had on a, a, a Navy blazer and a, a tie, and, and I was ready to go to the White House. And Jay looked at me, and he said, you're not wearing that, are you? And I said, what do you mean? Tie? Long tie then. Got on a tie and a blazer. I look, I'm ready. He said, I want you to go back to your house and put on a suit before we go to the White House. You're going, you may not see the president, but you're going into the presence of the president when you enter that White House. And you will be dressed in a way of showing respect to the place that you're going. I wonder sometimes we haven't just become too casual in everything as we come before the Lord. I know God looks on the heart, not on the external things, but I wonder if sometimes those external things don't show what is on the internal when we come. If you all show up wearing suits and ties next week, I'm going to feel really bad. But that, you know, the point is, how do we honor him as father? How do we honor him as God? Malachi and the rest of this chapter, we read all of it. We'll look at it more next week. But, but he's going to show us that really the, the way we show God glorious, the way, we, the way we demonstrate our honor of him is going to be demonstrated in four areas of authenticity in our life. And those four areas are this. Think about them this week. In verses 6 and 7, it's going to be our profession. It's going to be what we say and how we say it. In verses 8 and 9, we're going to show authenticity and honor God by our gifts, by our offerings, by, by things that we bring. That's why we have an offering during the worship service and don't just have a box in the back. That's an act of worship. And it has to be authentic in that. We'll do it in our service, how we serve him. Verses 11 and 12, we'll talk about that. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but we'll look at it more in depth. And then in our time, verses 13 and 14, how do we use our time? How do we view our time in here? Read that verse again. I'm not going to deal with it, but I want you to think about this verse this week. Verse 13, and you also say how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it. I love that picture, mental picture, of coming to worship and saying how tiresome it is and just disdainfully sniff at it. We'll talk about that in depth next week. But what Malachi is saying, God is a great God, a God of hosts, a God worthy of our worship, a God who created all, a God who rules over all, a God who has myriads of angels and armies at his disposal. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of much and many. 
He's a great God. And He's worthy of your honor. Let's pray.